0: Hello and welcome to Kohler Commentary. Today, it's just yours truly, Unji, on the pod, so I thank you in advance for your grace and love as I attempt my first solo show. On a previous episode, Sharon Kim, Executive Director of Mustard Seed Generation, stressed the importance of taking care of our mental health, similar to taking care of our dental and oral health. Just like we brush our teeth twice a day for two minutes, we also need to daily take care of our mental health. And for some of us, that could look like meditation exercises, journaling, being in the word, in nature, setting social media boundaries, or whatever else grounds you. For me, it was taking the step to start therapy, acknowledging that I needed to step out of some dangerous depths I had been stuck in for longer than I realized. Therapy isn't only for those who need help when things are quote-unquote quote, serious, But unfortunately, the trend is that we only seem to get there when all control feels gone or our depressive and anxious moods have gotten way too severe. Did you know that 33% of Korean Americans reportedly struggle with depression and mental health problems? Yet, we are three times less likely to seek professional help than white Americans due to social stigma, linguistic and cultural barriers, and an overall lack of awareness of mental health. So according to my receipts, I made the courageous action to commit to therapy a year ago on June 29th, 2021. So I wanted to take time today to stop and celebrate my therapy anniversary, my theraversary with you all today and share some takeaways on my experience thus far. I also wanted to simply put more information out there to help nudge you forward if you have been meaning to take that step for a while now too. So what can you expect? First off, I encourage you to fully commit to the process of finding your therapist before you even begin. Finding that match is a lot like dating, where you might have to swipe a few times before the stars get to align together. In January of 2021, Matt and I actually tried to go to therapy together because a lot of the conflicts were emphasized within our marriage. We wanted access to free sessions under his psychiatry residency benefits, but after a couple sessions, it was quite clear to me that this would not be a fit. Nothing was wrong with the therapist as a person, but when it came to the underlying issues like cultural and upbringing differences and spiritual struggles we were going through, um, and all of these were huge pillars for me, it was so hard to feel understood or go deeper. So with that, I kind of grew discouraged and quit the search, resulting in worsening the health of my mental health. I am thankful for my persistent spirit in that way because I had to finally accept that even though it did feel like an us problem, in there, there is also a me problem that I wanted to kind of fix on my own, I guess, or discover on my own. So I renewed my search to look for ways to do individual therapy. I used a resource I'm always raving about, Mustard Seed Generation, uh, who passionately works to connect Korean Americans with culturally competent therapists. And this is how I found my lobster, friends reference. This brings me to my second tip that you should know what you're looking for. What are your values and needs going into therapy? I think having the initial mismatch helped prepare me in the sense that I knew I needed someone who could understand the Asian-American or even more specifically the Korean-American culture. Someone who could take into account my heart for Jesus in all things. And a bonus would definitely be if she was female. And lo and behold, I got a Korean-American Christian female who I absolutely love. I also told myself that wanting free services was a given so I could save money as I was about to stop working towards the end of the year to focus on stay-at-home role. I couldn't seem to justify spending money on myself when I soon wouldn't even have a salary attached to my name. And oh my goodness, guys, I had to tear that belief down. I had to say that I am worth the investment in myself, even if I don't earn an income. And I must give myself permission to spend full price if I had to, because I knew the need was there, not just for me, but for my family. While it was an unexpected blessing that these sessions would end up being covered at a much lower price with our insurance, I knew that regardless, I would have committed if it came out to the full price. Next, think about your goals beforehand. Are you dealing with stress, trauma, phobias, a specific relationship struggle, grief, mental health conditions, emotional issues? Notice that you do not have to be in the worst state possible to go to therapy. Even just to talk through some smaller issues is a wonderful way for preventative counseling to occur so it doesn't have to become a cavity or a broken bone. Do you get my analogy? (laughs) As someone who reflects a lot and takes time to check in with myself, I still needed that external processing third-party person to help me through this season. I am a huge feelings person, so I definitely felt that fit with my therapist after the first meeting. But if you need more, then the next tip is to make sure to ask questions. Questions like, what is your area of expertise? What kind of therapy do you practice? I believe mine was cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you have experience working with people in similar situations? What is your approach? What are your years of experience? And just more questions like that that you would like to know so that you can make sure you've tested the waters and feel as comfortable as possible. With today's times, I was so thankful that she offered me online therapy because that helped me so much while I first started this as a working mom during COVID who needed to sneak in sessions during Jaden's nap time. And with that, are beautiful journey together began. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp, the sponsor of this episode, is here for you. BetterHelp offers a broad range of over 20,000 licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Plus, you can get 10% off your first month with my code, betterhelp.com slash Kohler. With BetterHelp, you can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience and all you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs before getting matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. As a mom constantly working around Jaden's toddler schedule, having my weekly therapy online has been a complete game changer and a huge reason why I have made big steps to better my mental health for myself and for my family. You can also request a new therapist anytime at no additional charge. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Don't forget to use my code to get that 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Kohler. That's hel slash Kohler. Once I found someone I wanted to move forward with, my therapist created a treatment plan and shared her diagnosis of me. The planner and me loved that the treatment plan had specific goals and objectives to focus on during our weekly sessions. And while it was detailed and structured, it also wasn't something we had to follow to a T. Therapy essentially became my safe space to vent and process. And as someone who is pretty authentic and emotionally sleeve wearing to the core, I still had to accept that. Even I had been masking some pretty dark and negative thoughts that I needed to share freely without fear of judgment. It's not a surprise that at a lot of initial sessions, um, there was a revelation of great struggle and resentment in my marriage, as Matt and I had shared in a previous episode. But through these sessions, it also revealed that there were many other things like from my childhood, from my past friendships and relationships, from my beliefs that were rooted in culture, and so much more that revealed the crazy amount of brokenness I was not ready to face. I had been undergoing a chronic season of restlessness and feeling like I lost my strong identity in Christ and in self because I was constantly going through unstable transitions and seemed to constantly be losing my intimate connections with the few and fewer support systems I had in each stage. These feelings of isolation and deep sadness resulted in a lot of new emotions I struggled to face and accept. And as I unpacked this in therapy, it also resulted in a lot of projection onto Matt. Because it's still COVID and motherhood, so my social interactions were quite limited. And ugh, like I had to start learning how to stop this unfair projection, which I'm still working on now. Wow, as I'm reflecting, I just want to shout out my amazing husband for being a true partner who supported me in this journey and really had to endure my many difficult emotions as a pretty emotionless person himself to be able to walk alongside of me. So shout out, Matt. (laughs) I wanted to share a few takeaways from therapy that helped me face the unknown trauma, hurts, and repressed events from the past. While I have made a lot of breakthrough, doing this work has been really draining because it also requires a lot of dismantling of certain romanticized memories I had been storing in its place. But while this work has been really hard, it has also been super, super worth it. My first takeaway is realizing how many false identities and beliefs I created and ingrained into my mind over the past eight years. We shared in a previous marriage anniversary episode that I moved to San Antonio with the understanding that Matt wanted to get married that following year. So when he was no longer sure that we were compatible once I had already moved there, this resulted in a reaction I myself was really unfamiliar with. I was filled with so much insecurity, betrayal, and doubting my worth completely consumed me. I became scared of praying because the huge prayer warrior in me had all the peace about moving to this new city, which suddenly became shattered. I was embarrassed and I had no one to lean on in this new city. While it's okay for someone to not be ready to get married, and honestly better to figure that out before marriage, I think the way it was handled and the reason why this was happening made me equate it to a growing weed that said, and that told myself, I am no longer worthy to be loved. Let me repeat that. I am no longer worthy to be loved. Over the years, that small false belief grew alongside a field of more weeded beliefs like I am not worthy to be pursued. I must now earn the love from everyone. And for someone who has been so blessed and privileged with an abundance of love in her life, I began to people please like no other. This mindset also caused me to believe I had to earn the love of my family, of my past friends. And as I continue to grow in new identities as a wife and now even a mother, that feeling of earning it is, has never gone away. If, if anything, it's gotten bigger. Even with God, who I know a lot of you guys might not be believers, but that has been, that is a very important value for me. And so that's something I will be sharing a lot in this therapy reflection. But even with God, I felt that because I had grown so far from Him, I had to earn His love back, which seemed nearly impossible as the years grew, even though I was really trying. I was a poor friend to those I loved so dearly in my previous stages of life because I was too consumed with earning Matt's love that I also began to believe I no longer had a right to be their friends anymore." And even with my family, who warned me not to move for a guy, um, I think I wanted to hide my feelings of loneliness because I was scared of, and I told you so, or, you know, I knew I was constantly choosing someone else first and I was scared of hurting them. And now, as I'm sitting here unpacking all of these things and knowing these are not thoughts that, they ever expressed directly to me. My my loved ones never said this to me. These were all the beliefs that started to fill. Um, But that's how a small lie truly grew into a foundational truth in my life and in my mind. So once where I had unconditionally given and received love, suddenly everything felt so toxic, calculative, and never enough. Other thoughts today that grew as well are thoughts like, I have too many harsh emotions now, so I must not be worthy to be a good caretaker for my family. I am going to lead my family into a dark path. It's all my fault. Or I have to keep serving. I have to keep doing. If I don't, then I will amount to nothing. I will be worth nothing, especially at the church. If I am this messed up by just being, is it even worth keeping this family together? These, these and more beliefs were what constantly consumed my mind and just my mental capacity. So when conflicts arose that caused me to default into any of my false beliefs, being able to name it and then deny it has been a huge step that my therapist guided me through. And she was the one that was able to point that out because I didn't even realize that had become such a norm in my mind. I'm still working on the last part, which is replacing it with an affirming truth that is so powerful and so like permanent that these little lies can't take over. But you know, I'm not there yet and that's okay, which is why I'm only celebrating one year so far in therapy, right? Another takeaway is how big the shame and guilt culture has been ingrained in me from before I even knew. In many cultures, but since I am Korean American, specifically in our culture, the culture of collectiveness um, and the collective is so big, whether we were told these things directly or if they were simply carried on generationally from our immigrant ancestors or even indirectly ingrained in the culture of our Korean churches. It's a huge part of a lot of us. And while I attribute so much of my passionate faith and so many wholesome things to how I grew up this way, there was also so much image or guilt, um, hierarchical um, thoughts, Confucius-like culture that was actually embedded within each decision and conversation and communities that I was a part of. And it wasn't until my therapist pointed out words I would constantly be using like bad or shouldn't or protect embarrassed? How could I? After all they've done, after all the sacrifices, etc. Did I realize things I linked together like second nature? And as an addendum, I'm an Enneagram too, which means I am part of the heart triad, driven by the dominating core emotion of shame. And so there was just so many instances that would subtly kind of layer upon each other. And I had to start recalling memories of when this would happen and how that affected me. So one of the early feelings of shame, not super early, but when I would be willing to share is that I, uh, an early feeling of shame I felt was when my youth pastor left our church during my senior year of high school, when I was the president and I was super excited to serve and partner alongside my greatest role model and mentor. But when he left, there was a dry spirit that came and met us every Sunday afterwards and for some reason, it suddenly made me feel like it was my job to save the spirituality of our youth. Literally, I'm just a senior in high school. What? Why was I thinking that? Um, so even when I would make out, um, oh my gosh, right? Make out or just like literally popo, kiss my boyfriend at that time. I was filled with extreme uh, feelings of guilt and shame that would consume me. And I would ask myself, how could I even spend time or focus or even quote, quote, my purity because even that is a whole other topic and how the church preaches that, right? But how could I spend that time or invest anything on anything else besides the importance of salvation? That's literally what I was telling myself. And this is at no fault to anyone in in particular. But I also have to realize that there was a culture of shame embedded in me that I did tie to values of faith and heritage. So like we mentioned at a previous episode, my fear buttons were a to really show up, right? Where for me, I was had this fear of disappointing my role model pastor who left or the church or my peers. And this caused me to have reactions of disconnection, withdrawal and regret in some other friendships and relationships of mine. Another recollection was in college when I had a long story short spiritual warfare encounter as a volunteer for our youth retreat. While I experienced undeniable intimacy with Christ in this experience, I was also remember I remembered feeling so much worry um, for what this might mean. What if this embarrasses my parents? This has never happened in our conservative church. What if they think something is wrong with me? Am I tainted now? These are all the thoughts that also came with being able to experience such a beautiful spiritual experience with Jesus. And so I think all this to say is it's so easy to realize guilt and shame have become such an easy default for me. But I think especially when it involves church or relationships, the lines get really blurry for me. And I could talk for days on how mom guilt and wife guilt have overrided that in so many ways. But I'm also not comfortable have unpacked all of that yet. And especially now, as the church represented in our country has been tied to some really disgusting actions and laws. It's so hard for me, but I have to remember that while so dear to God's heart, the church is not perfect, the believers are not perfect. And even with hurts or false beliefs, God the Father is still one who loves wholly and fully. And I have to cling on to that truth. Once again, I know you guys are not all faith-based listeners, but I hope you can accept this part in my reflection as it is a huge part of my identity and healing. Ultimately, this guilt mode combined with the earnest belief in all aspects of my life affected my mindset so deeply. And I empathize with so many of you who have carried this type of mental load for so much longer than I have. And I hope you can take time to pause in this glorified hustle and grind life to take care of yourself and affirm yourself for who you are, no matter what you do. The biggest thing for me as an Enneagram 2, a youngest child, growing up with a genuinely serving heart who was affirmed for who I was, but also affirmed for all the great things I could do and serve others for, is that I never learned how to create boundaries. My final takeaway to share today, although there have been so many riches through therapy, is that there was such a need to create boundaries for greater freedom in myself. Now, the example I'm going to give where this kind of clicked is marriage related. um, But I want to also once again, shout out Matt for always letting us be so vulnerable on this platform. But it's the main reason I'm sharing this example is to show my extreme inability to say no. In therapy, I was venting about a conflict Matt and I had had that week. And that conflict had to be paused because Matt was going to take Jaden to daycare that morning. And when he was about to leave, he offered to bring me back some kolaches. He was trying to love on me during a fight, right? So that sounds very sweet. But the thing is, I didn't want kolaches. So I said no very clearly five times. Matt, please do not buy me kolaches. I do not want them. Do not bring any kolaches back for me, okay? Like I had to make sure he didn't bring them for me. I don't know why, but that was important for me to say. He said okay, but when he came back, he got out a plate, heated up three kolaches for me and put it next to me while I was working. Once again, this sounds sweet, right? But the thing is, I didn't want them. I was already eating so many carbs and junk foods because of my cravings. And in general, I was feeling bloated and gross in this pregnancy. I just didn't want the kolaches. But then he lovingly and sweetly said, make sure to enjoy them while they're hot. And he he went upstairs to work on his stuff. So then I ate them. Because how could I say no to someone who was excited for me to enjoy them? And I was venting to my therapist because I was like, I set clear boundaries, right? On the front end, I told him no. Did he not hear me? I feel hurt. Why did he buy them for me? I told him no. Now he thinks I like them when I only ate them to please him. Now he's going to keep buying me food when we argue, but I really don't want that. I actually want us to save money. All these like random thoughts just kept spilling out. And while I told Matt about these thoughts too beforehand I still had this resentment I needed to release in my session so as my therapist listened she responded to something like oh wow that is interesting that he still bought them for you did you say no thank you when he put the plate down beside you and that left me speechless like uh no like how could I say no thank you when he went out of his way to show a sign of love And it clicked, like, that's the final boundary I have to do. And this just, like, blew my mind. Whether growing up it was your friend's mom, your grandma, or someone who cooked you food and told you to eat all of it because they love you so much, right? Because that is a huge love language of Asian Americans. It's just like, in general, I never knew how to say no. And not just with food, but in general, with an act or a sacrifice of love in a way that actually I may not have wanted or needed. But because I never knew how to say no then... I would show gratefulness, show gratitude, but also a feeling of gratitude that was linked with indebtedness, if that makes sense. And while I was working on setting boundaries on the front hand, like saying, do not buy me the kolaches, right? Even when those boundaries are ignored or unheard, right? It is my responsibility to say no thank you until the very end. This doesn't mean it's solely my fault or I'm in the wrong, but I have to own that I am responsible for my feelings and reactions of resentment and bitterness that build up. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, you are terrible at this. I have such great boundaries. But others of you are relating right now and saying, oh my goodness, yes, my weight gain is my mom's fault or my unhappiness is my boss's fault, my friend's fault, my spouse, I don't know, my kid's fault. And while it's nobody's fault, it is your responsibility to take care of your feelings. And that's something like subconsciously I don't think I ever realized. I was actually also getting this by reading a book, Boundaries. I'm sure a lot of you guys might have heard about it. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, which I've had for like 10 years, but I never opened the book. And there was a chapter on relationship dynamics and scenarios like the compliant versus the compliant. I guess not verse, but scenarios of compliant with a compliant, compliant with an aggressive controller, manipulative controller. Um, non-responsive person, etc. And in all these scenarios that were presented, where it sounds like the controller or the, the aggressive person would be in the wrong, when I was reading it, it was actually not in the wrong, but it was the responsibility of the compliant person to speak up and share where their discomforts lied and where their boundaries were crossed. And I felt so offended reading this chapter because... I have been the compliant person all my life, thinking it was the selfless thing to do. Compliant in my family, in the church, at work, at school. Literally, my Enneagram is Enneagram 2, which is also the compliant. And in various dynamics, I always wondered why, specifically in some of my closest friendships, I would develop a feeling of bitterness or hurt along the way once we became so close. I would feel hurt by a said friend for a said action or said word. And I realized while there is insensitivity and hurt from both ends and mutual ownership to be had, on my end, which is what I ultimately have control over, is that I never set those clear boundaries. My desire was to be wholly there for others and love immensely like Christ loved. But somehow that got skewed into people pleasing and letting boundaries be crossed day and night. Now, as a wife and a mom who is no longer single, but tied to my own family, the need for boundaries is that much more vital for the health of my unit. And by holding on or letting myself get hurt, I'm actually the one hurting myself and setting myself captive to so many things. So through therapy, I have also been able to process so many different relational scenarios in my own life where I can talk through the false beliefs, the shame feelings, and the inability to set healthy boundaries and slowly make decisions to create healthy changes in my life. For example, I've talked about the church a lot, right? And, um, I've always like stuck it through and really like grown in so many church environments. But recently we left our church this spring for me, breaking a membership covenant is like the worst thing in the world to do. In my mind, I'm breaking a promise to God an oath I made in front of a congregation. And in a sense, I felt like if I leave a church or in this case with Matt, we left a church, then I failed. And as I would share certain things in, in therapy over that year, I knew that while we were attending a church that had such strong teachings rooted in the word, and it did have a good congregation, the messages I was constantly hearing and digesting were that I'm not serving it enough. I need to do more. I need to store more treasures. Oh, you did your QT today? That's good. But why weren't you at early morning prayer or at weekly prayer or at this event or at that event and if you're not giving suffering and dying then you might not be doing enough right you can always be doing more and while this is so true and it's actually a grounded truth of serving and loving with good intention the state of where I was mentally and the many false beliefs I had shared that were only growing and so ingrained inside of me were so weak to constantly hear this message without also coupling it with very uplifting ones, I guess. And so I would leave service or small community or ministry settings being so hard on myself, telling myself, because you have a bad relationship with God, or because your husband is busy, or because you're a mom now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can't serve to the amount this church requires and you'll never be enough. And once again, right, this is my mental state telling me these lies. um, And it wasn't healthy for me to stay a part of this environment this wasn't like a direct blow from the church. So if you still go there, don't be offended. Don't take this personally. This is just my experience, which is my valid experience. Um, It was a belief that kept destroying me rather than setting me in healthy ways. And while I tried really hard to ignore it, I'm so thankful that I was able to share a lot of things in therapy because it did help me understand, one, that God loves me all the time. God loves me even if I leave this church. God loves this church even if I leave this church. And, you know, everyone is imperfect. Breaking a covenant does not mean I failed at faith. And he is still waiting for that relationship. My mental health has drastically improved since leaving and we left so that we could intentionally heal before we move on to a new um, city. And I'm just really proud of myself for making a brave step of faith rather than staying due to fear of judgment or duty or obligation, um, things like that. So that was something that I was so proud to share with my therapist and just like wins in that and, and still keeping me accountable to fill that cup with things that are righteous and you know aligned with faith as well. Another example is in my family. I did re- recognize how enmeshed we are. And a lot of immigrant families might be. So love you. Oftentimes, we focus on each other's needs and goals just as much as our own. And we own them just as much as our own. And as the youngest, it has been such a fulfilling thing to always have had such a close-knit family growing up. Definitely, we had our own identities and lives and experiences. Um, However, I do think over time with life changes and city changes, we did slowly become a bit over-involved. I also personally began to see more conflict come from me or due to me because I had to unwillingly disagree with things as I became a wife and a mother. And now I am called to align with my husband or create my own decisions to to form my own sense of identity as I take ownership of my first and foremost family of three. But as a people pleaser, right? Right. This tore me apart because I always felt like my role in my family was to be the obedient one growing up. Whether or not that was expected or put on me, that's kind of where I felt my role was best. And so as this seemingly changed because of things I could no longer easily go with the flow with, I had so much anxiety hoping no one would feel less loved or hurt by the many differences or disagreements we began to have. I began to feel this daily guilt, which also grew conflict in our own marriage because I never knew why I was citing this new way or for what reason. And right now, not a family member or not, I have to take time to ask myself, what's important to me? What are the values that I believe for my family of three? Because the health of me equals the greater health of my family. I love my Chi family so much and I have to be okay with the fact that Matt and Jaden are my first priority even if I will forever be the mangne baby um, although that role is no longer one that I draw from as much. In friendship, I prided myself in being so relational with many deep and intimate relationships but now as I have so many identities and life stages tapestry together that also means I can't make time for all these friends. And that sounded so selfish to me, right? Like, especially for an Enneagram 2, who's known as the befriender, uh, loves relationships. It was so hard to accept that all of these relationships just are not actually possible with my capacity and it's so important to figure out like as a wife a mother a daughter a member who's lived in various cities been a part of various communities and had to say so many goodbyes my time used to be so generous but now I find myself ungrateful a lot of times and drained because while I still try to give like I used to I can't seem to understand why my cup stays empty. And somehow this pillar of friendship turned into a weed of people-pleasing while feeling sad because the intimacy is not the same. And I have to accept where I am today and learn to say, hey, sorry, not this week. Or, hey, like, I love you, but I just don't have time. Or I know I'm a stay-at-home mom. You can take that for what it is and make that your own connotation. But stay-at-home mom does not mean that my time is free, right? And that's a conscious choice of mine as well. And so, yeah, those are some things I had to unpack. And as someone who thrives on achievement, not working has been really difficult for my identity. Feeling like earning money equated to worth of some sort and being a mom or a working mom, as society also glorifies, or being someone that is worth showing my parents' sacrifice for all that they did, worth in providing for my family or for Jaden, and so much more. But if I, if I went down that road, that would be like a whole nother episode. Um, but in general, in terms of work, in therapy, I also impact a lot of microaggressions I heavily experienced when I first moved to Houston. Prior to Houston, I worked in underserved communities, loving on my students and navigating how to be an Asian American ally for brothers and sisters in communities that needed greater advocacy. But when I took that season to work at Baylor, I was met with daily microaggressions, y'all. Like, ugh, I don't even want to talk about the specifics. Um, but I was met daily with microaggressions from some of my white bosses who said derogatory comments to me, to my other p- employees of color, shared inappropriate stories about other people of color, and more. Right. And I think I grew up watching some derogatory statements or comments or actions towards my parents um, who were honestly pretty good at English but even then I saw some things that I was like what the heck but to be like am I really also receiving this as like is this still happening like everything was so subtle and in the moment and then i would be like did my boss really just say that like what the heck and because of all that like and I I didn't even know the term microaggressions until later, right? But in that time, I had no idea how to respond to these microaggressions in real time. And so I just would like reflect and be like, am I really working in this kind of space after all the years prior where I was doing purposeful work um, for my students and for communities that really needed it? Like, is this all I'm amounting to? Like I had a lot of more negative thoughts. And so honestly, even like, Matt is a white passing male. And as I was accumulating trauma at work, once again, this is another reflection of, oh my gosh, there was so much projection of anger because of boundaries I couldn't set at work or because of verbal com- like verbal boundaries I couldn't combat at that time. So I took it out on the wrong person again. So, oh my goodness, Matt, sorry. I love you so much. And I'm glad that you're my husband so much. All this to say, each boundary also requires the question at what cost? Do I want to lose some of my friendships because of these boundaries? Do I want to hurt someone's feelings for myself? Do I want to miss out on this event or this promotion or this salary increase because of what my boss inappropriately said to me? Do I want to say my culture is bad because of a few instances of hurt? Right? Like, I don't want to give up one thing for another necessarily, but if I don't dissect these things and love myself and choose the values dear to me first, the resentment, the pride, the bitterness will continue to grow inside and fester into more and more of a broken person. And so we all need to, but I need to develop a sense of personal power and ownership, not blaming others for my feelings, right? In order to increase the relationships that are most important. You know, after I stopped working last November of 2021, I still sent Jaden to daycare a few mornings a week for the social aspect for him and also the Korean language that our lovely daycare Ajima provides. Um, but oftentimes, I would hear comments like, "And they're they're innocent, no mal intent, right?" But like, wow, that must be the dream wow, you're so lucky. What are you doing in that time? Do you just hang out? Like, do you just sit there? Because you don't work, you know? And it was so offensive to me. And I took that so personally because like I said, these comments were never ill intended, but I suddenly felt like I had to justify this precious time with made up work. And one morning while Jaden was at daycare, I had finished my podcast prep and my personal work and errands early. And I had about an hour to spare before picking him up. And guys, I felt so undeserving to just rest. Like I got, I felt so antsy that there was nothing to do. I meal prepped, I did this, this or this. um, And I felt unworthy, right? And so I opened my laptop, I went to indeed.com, and I applied for a contract job as a resume reviewer because I was like, if I do have free time, then I can resort to this if I get the job so I can make money and justify all the time that I have to myself, apparently. I told myself this because I said I don't deserve rest, right? Like, how crazy is it that in this hustle society, we reward ourselves for the constant grind, which is so respectable. But sometimes we can be so hard on the investment of time and energy in the self care of simple rest. We are truly our own worst enemies, and I hope sharing my reflections as the most critical person of myself, can reveal the toxicity within and the need for mental health hygiene when possible has been somewhat helpful or insightful to some extent for someone out there. Now, this is not to throw a pity party, but just to share a few examples of the many of how it became so evident that there are way too many layers of complex trauma and hurt and desperately needing healing beyond what I thought the problem was, which I thought was just my marriage. I tried self-reflection. I tried mental willpower to solve problems alone. I tried a lot of private things first. But sometimes it is so important to just share with someone safe. And therapy was the perfect outlet for me to have that person to share in sorrow and in hurt, but also spur on the accountability and growth that I needed. And this is how I knew, I know like in these spaces, you know, you're not alone. You know that you're not the only one that's going through this. And you also know that it's not worth taking away a life, right? Your life is worth living and sharing and loving and being. And I think that's just like a beautiful gift therapy had given me. This year I declared it the year of healing because I think we had shared a lot of breakthrough re-experience towards the end of 2021. And so this year I said, this is the year of healing before the growth, right? Because sometimes you think breakthrough and then you think growth. But I was like, no, this is the year of healing. But little did I know what that looks like, right? I thought that would mean I'm no longer going to get triggered. I'm not going to feel negative emotions. I'm going to have a linear upwards progression. And I'm soon going to be that best version of myself again. The back to unji normal that I wanted. But what healing has really looked like is being aware of my triggers. Being able to accept and feel all the emotions. There's no bad or good emotions. Um, crying or getting angry, that's not negative. Okay, That's just an emotion to feel and embrace as much as the other ones let myself feel the joy as well. And understanding it is non-linear. Right? This journey has so many ups and downs. And when I'm in a down and I get on myself saying, oh, you've made zero progress. That's not true because that journey is constantly going up and up, even through the dips. And as I'm still healing, right, um, I'm coming to a place of fully loving and accepting every part of myself, not wanting Matt to fully love and accept me or the communities to fully love and accept me, but for Unji, for me, for Josephine, Joey, whatever I'm (laughs) going to call myself, um, but for me to fully love me first. And as I continue to be in this tension of healing, I'm reminded in tears that I'm God's beloved. Even when I still struggle with anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and faithlessness, I don't have to go back to him once I've figured it all out, once I'm Whole again, right? He wants to walk with me in this hurt. And I think that's just something that's been really difficult for me to accept because I've wanted to become perfect for him. One of my favorite songs growing up was in Spanish as we would go to Mexico every year for missions. And it went like this. and it means like, here I am, Lord, send me, invite me, just as I am. and will bring your glory to the nations. And it, it just like was such a simple hymnal type song, but it meant so much to me. But over time, I began to ignore, I think, the most important part, the here I am, just as I am. And instead, I became so passionately focused on the use me, Lord. I will go. Invite me, Lord. I will bring you glory. If a friend goes astray, use me. If my loved one is hurting or struggling, use me. If the ministry needs X, Y, and Z, use me. If my husband is sad or my children are lost, use me. The promise of glory drove me greater than just the being, the presence, the embrace. And it's so funny because almost now because of this mental health journey i'm in right in this mental health journey we are in this place where sometimes we can't be used right i came to a place where my life was only important if i needed to if i could be used to love nurture and provide but if i'm going out of a place where that is the belief i have in my value then that's why i wonder like am i no longer worthy to be because i can't be used because I can't give tangible value and that's such a dangerous part to process and live in with therapy and other things I work so hard to pour into myself I so badly wish I could come here on my one-year theriversary and say I'm back to normal ng, right but the truth is I'm still in that tension of struggle and daily I have to tell myself I am worthy I am enough I am beloved I am worthy to rest, to just be, and I can still be anxious, depressed, and emotional, but still be worthy and whole and full and loved. And so I wonder what is the tension you're feeling in your heart, not the highlights or the joys or the images portrayed on your socials, but the true reality in between. My therapist recently reviewed my treatment plan that I had talked about that we created at the start of last year. And there were actually so many wins. And that sounds surprising because I feel like all I do is focus on the negatives. Um, when I actually had so much growth and so many gains to be proud of, even if my feelings tell me otherwise. And so we recently changed the treatment plan and updated it because I had actually improved so much. And I'm excited for this next year and what that looks like. Removing this month, Matt's starting a new job. And I'm about to become a mom of two right? And we're restarting in another home base and looking for a new community. And while that does still give me a lot of anxiety, I'm so grateful for the work I put in this past year, knowing that there's always room to grow, but there has been so much freaking healing that has come. And so, yay, go Unji, Good job. (laughs) As Jaden would say, good job, Ama. Some of you may have been able to relate. And some of you are in trenches far deeper and harder than I could ever imagine. And I am so sorry for what you might be going through. My hope is that whether it's therapy or your own intentional form of care, my hope is that you would put your mental health first and really invest in your well-being. Oh, and if I could uh, describe a fruit, right? Fruit is my theme. If I could describe the mental health journey in a fruit, um, I think it would be a Cherry, I don't know. So, at least for me, when I eat a cherry, the goal is to when you put the cherry in your mouth, right? The goal is for my tongue to somehow fight its way to the the cherry pit, clean it all up, um, spit it out, and then deliciously enjoy the rest of it. And I think that pit part is where I am right now, right? Where you know, you pop it in and things are good and you're like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. But then you got to you gotta dig out that pit. You got to dig out the weeded beliefs that I, I keep talking about. And you have to be willing to get that pit clean. There's no like shortcut to that pit. Or I guess you could cut it with, your, with a knife. But then you don't get some of the good stuff, right? And so once you spit out that pit and you're like, yes, then you really get to savor all the goodness that comes. And so I don't know, I feel like, maybe as I think about it and where I am in the process of cleaning up that pit, right? And I can't wait to spit it out, but I'm still cleaning up that pit. And I hope that um, I can, I'm excited to savor all the goodness that is to come. Anyways, I want to raise my glass as I reflect upon this year and cheers to another year of therapy ahead uh, thank you guys for celebrating my anniversary with me today. That's all on Kohler Commentary. Thanks for listening. Wow, I can't believe I kind of exposed bits of myself like that. Um, feeling a little vulnerable here, um, but nonetheless grateful. And while there are greater depths I did not cover in therapy, there are things we can keep private as well. I just want to thank you for taking time to listen and celebrate the wins with me today. I would love to connect and hear your own journey someday over coffee or even better on the podcast itself if you would like to share your own powerful story because I believe you do have one. If you feel convicted to bless yourself and others with your own experience, please email kohlercommentary at gmail.com so we can get it on the calendar and talk If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate it five stars and subscribe so you never miss another. Go to at color commentary to comment your key takeaways and share what you want to hear about next. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to listen to. Thank you for being a part of this community. Love you guys.